This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. I am Jason Kong. Full house today here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson with Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you doing? Doing well. It's good to hear your full voice back. <laughs> you know, I'm getting back there. It's taken uh, several weeks, but um, you know, we're, we're we're powering through. So <laughs> good, good. Sam, how are you? It is nice to hear your, your full voice power back in action, Jason. <laughs> well, you know, you, you two are making me feel good, so I, <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, we've got a wonderful show lined up today. We're going to be talking really all things caregiving, and we are very pleased to welcome on the show Karen Warner Schuler. She's an executive coaching consultant and author of the book, The Sudden Caregiver. Karen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for inviting me on to your show today. Karen, I want to start. Everyone has a unique caregiving story. I'm on my own journey with my grandfather and my dad. Sam's on her journey Mm -hmm. uh, with her family. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you became a caregiver? Yes. So I, uh, as Jason said, I'm an executive coach and consultant. I have my own company. I was fully deployed out in the world doing leadership development, and I got a phone call from my husband in the middle of the night, and he said, uh, I am at the hospital, and I've been here all day, and I've been diagnosed with stage four cancer, and nothing could have been more shocking or surprising to either of us. He was an extremely healthy man. He did not smoke. He did not you know, he worked out six days a week. He, if anyone uh, between us should have been not as healthy, it would have been me. But he, it, overnight, I became a sudden caregiver, and I was thrust into trying to figure out how to be the best caregiver I could for my husband. He did, uh, I was his caregiver for 18 months. We went through cancer treatments, clinical trials, and he passed away. Um, in 2016. That is a a lot for Mm -hmm. such a short period of time. You know, there's this new generation of caregivers called sandwich caregivers, which it sounds like you fall into a little bit here with those that are taking care of their parents and the children at the same time. Um, And this group is growing in numbers by the day. As you were caregiving on also handling and juggling all these other things, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced and how did you manage your work-life balance? (laughs) Well, there was no work-life balance. I think that's probably the first thing that caregivers realize is how how it absorbs all your resources. Uh, I was lucky in that, and my late husband and I were both fortunate that we were both consultants who had for years run our own businesses. So there was a point of time when I became a sudden caregiver where my business could sort of keep going on the jet stream before I really had to make a decision about how much I could be work, you know, how many hours I could devote to between caregiving and, um, and my work and caregivers. I think the number is we add about 21 hours of work 
to our already fully deployed work day when we become caregivers. So you have to find a way to, to add that 21 hours in. Uh, I think the most beneficial thing that I could, I could uh, suggest to sandwich caregivers, two things really. One is to have a backup for yourself. And often, I think the first response caregivers have is, there's no backup, I'm the only me. Uh, but I would encourage you to kind of look again at your network and see if there is someone who, if you were suddenly quarantined with COVID and could not step forward as a caregiver, who could backfill you, which will give you a lot of peace of mind. Um, and the other thing is to, it's people oriented, find the people in your world that you trust and bring them on board as soon as you can, and, you know, take them into your confidence. That's so true. And, and like you mentioned, it's really important now more than ever to make sure you have good backups in place for caregiving. So Karen, you were really suddenly thrown into this role. So first step, how to be a caregiver, resources. You started your journey, uh, where did you look first and how hard was it for you to find guidance during your initial days as it, everything kind of began to set in? Uh, it's That's such a great question for caregivers because where I looked first was where I always looked to myself and then is there research, are there books on this? I have a degree in positive psychology, I just got my master's so I thought, okay, roll up my sleeves, someone out there in the medical clinical field must have tackled this issue and they'll tell me here's the roadmap here's to be the best caregiver and that's what you can do but i could not find those resources which is obviously one of the reasons that i decided i had to write a book about caregiving or put to put a roadmap in place but i didn't have a roadmap i did have uh i did have my own experience as my caregiving situation unfolded and you quickly learn who to trust, who to believe. Um, sometimes advice is well-intended, but it doesn't work for you in your caregiving situation. And then gradually, as I was in conversations with people who were also caregivers or had been, what I realized was that right in my town, in my own community, there were resources for caregivers that if you become a caregiver overnight, as I did, it's the first time I was ever really in that job, so I'm an executive coach. I've been a coach for 20 years. I pretty much know where to find what I need in that job. But as a caregiver, I didn't realize that there were a lot of resources available to me right in my own community. Uh, and I actually compiled a list of resources on my website. There's just a tab where I've, anytime I got a piece of information from an association related to my husband had cancer, or um, in the case of working with my sister and my mom, who was in a caregiving situation, she had some dementia. So we would start looking for what are the associations in the United States, in the world really, that are devoted to the disease that you're dealing with or your care receiver is dealing with. You're, it's, not, it's okay not to know that they exist because you've never had to really tap into them, but um, there's a lot of, I think there's an estimate that caregivers pay $5,000 a year out of pocket. It's not covered by insurance. It's not covered by anyone else just to take care. And some of those resources that you might otherwise pay for are available in your communities for free or on loan. Um, and so I, one example of that is the Council on Aging, which was 
literally next to my daughter's daycare center when I used to go and drop my daughter off at daycare. I never even knew it was there. And instead of going and purchasing a walker and, you know, things to make the house safer, I could go to the Council on Aging and they had a whole room filled with things that I could just check out and borrow and then return when we no longer needed them. So I encourage people to kind of look around their towns. Um, I was on a, a caregiving support group call yesterday that I was leading and someone said he couldn't find caregive, a caregiving support group. And uh, I do recommend just Googling, if, if, you, if you're a Googler, Googling caregiving at and name whatever hospital is your local hospital. And that's what I did. And I ended up finding a caregiver support group run by a social worker at my local hospital. And I find things like that, when you can be part of a caregiving group, um, that people will share their resources. Well, that's a great resource for anyone to just use Google and try and find those uh, matching caregivers in their area. That's wonderful advice. We're speaking with Karen Warner Schuler. She's an executive coaching consultant and also author of the book, The Sudden Caregiver. And we're going to be talking about all things caregiving right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. If you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, be sure to go online to transitionslifecare.com. Dot org transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with, <clears throat> excuse me, Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson. Our guest on the line is Karen Warner Schuler. She's an executive coaching consultant and author of the book The Sudden Caregiver. And we're talking about all things caregiving. And right now we're going to kind of focus on how to be a better caregiver. Absolutely. So we kind of always like to use the analogy. That the flight attendant, when you're on a plane, always tells you to put your oxygen on first before helping those around you, which I think really applies here as well. It's so easy as caregivers to get caught up in caring for someone and forget about yourself sometimes. So, Karen, what are some tips you have on the roadmap to resilient caregiving? Well, I love that metaphor of putting your oxygen mask on first, and it's, it's so true. So the first thing I would say is there's a lot of pressure in caregiving to look at it as a burden, as something that is just going to be really difficult for you. And truthfully, it is. There are a lot of statistics that say, you know, caregivers suffer as much, if not more, than the person in their care. And what we know from research is that the better you can care for yourself, the better position you'll be in to care for the person, your care receiver, the person in your care. So I recommend something I call pathways to caregiver well-being. And really, this is, this is a way to build resilience. So the thing about resilience is that once you start, once you face an adversity, like you're thrown into a caregiving situation, 
if you can use that as, as energize yourself around it so that you can build up some muscle for your own resilience. Every time a crisis happens after that, you'll be better prepared for that crisis. So resilience is really not just bouncing back from a, an adverse situation, but bouncing better because you're better prepared for the future. So how do you do that as a caregiver? The first thing I believe is what I wanted was a roadmap, and I did not have a roadmap. So I created a roadmap, and mine happens to spell the acronym CARE, C-A-R-E, and, and talking about four phases of caregiving. And the first two, the C and the A, C stands for crisis, and A stands for as normal as possible, R stands for resolution, and E stands for evolution. So once your caregiving situation resolves, however it resolves, you have to evolve out of the role of caregiver. But what I think is most important is the crisis and the as normal as possible. That's really where you need your resilience. So crisis means there's an adverse event. I get the two o'clock in the morning phone call that my husband has stage four cancer. We all have, or, or if you're in an ongoing caregiving situation, uh, you know, in, in the case of my mother-in-law, she will have a fall and the entire family, you know, the care team sort of pulls together around that, gets on conference calls and figures out how we're going to deal with that and protect her and keep her safe. So there's always room for a crisis, no matter how stable you get. But ultimately, crises stabilize. And then you're in a phase I call as normal as possible, because it's not really, once you have the initial health crisis, you never really go back to normal, but you can get as close to normal as possible given what you're dealing with. And I found that I bounced between those two stages for most of my caregiving journey. There'd be a crisis, then we'd stabilize, and we'd really stabilize. We'd resume our lives and our work, and then there might be another crisis that just made us step back and address that adversity. So the first thing is to have a roadmap and understand where you are on that roadmap. And then once you do, really assume the position of caregiver. Take charge. And that is sometimes difficult for depending on the person who's in your care. And uh, but it is it's a matter of really saying all the decisions are going to come to me anyway. I'm going to be the one living and breathing with the decisions that are made. I really want to you know, put my thumb on the scale and make sure that we're doing the things that the care receiver and I think are the best for the situation. I can imagine in this normal as possible stage, and it's something that I deal with in my own experience as a caregiver, is dealing with a loved one who is in denial of needing help mm -hmm. and that lack of awareness of needing help. Is this something that in your journey you experienced or in talking with others um, that they're experiencing, and how do you go about navigating that situation? It's a really good question. So in my journey, at early in our crisis, my husband turned to me and said, you're the best problem solver I know. And I am. I'm a professional problem solver. I'm an executive coach. So he said, you, you're in charge. You run with this. So I am really blessed that that was my situation. And as I've spoken to caregivers, you know, once I started writing my book and started kind of attracting those conversations to myself, I realized, wow, I was really lucky. Um, so if you're caring, especially for a parent who has always been the one who's parenting you and suddenly you're in that situation of having to deal with that, 
what I, the, the best thing you can do is clarify for yourself that you are indeed good for the decisions that you're going to make on the person's behalf. The decisions are not easy ones. And you're going to, you're going to understand as much as possible when you assume the caregiving position, what success and what a good day looks like for the person in your care. For myself, my husband wanted to work as much as possible. I wanted him to like, you know, travel the world and see all the great museums and play all the great golf courses, but that's not what he wanted. He wanted to be at his desk every single day, continuing his, he published magazines and he, he was a consultant, a business consultant, and that's what he did. And he did not let on to anyone that he was ill. So that adds a whole level of stress to the caregiver to kind of keep the secret, but also be able to seek help. So I think it's safe to assume that all of us are going to be mm-hmm. caregivers at some point in some form or way. Is there such a thing as pre-planning to be a caregiver? Yes. I think this is the best thing we can do. And I think it has two prongs. One is to really look at, to really pause. We're not good at this. We're not good at it in the United States, but I think as human beings, we're not good at it. To realize our own mortality and realize that at some point, hopefully on a schedule that's not premature, but you know, you, you, you sort of hit 65, we've got a, you know, an aging class of baby boomers. There are a lot of us turning 65, 10,000 turn 65 every day. 65 is really where the World Health Organization starts talking about aging. And so the, to me, the best thing you can do to prepare to be a caregiver is not need a caregiver. So if you are healthy, if you invest in your own, you know, it's it's what I call in, in my book, um, it's what your mother told you when you started kindergarten. So eat, eat the right things, go outside and play, get some exercise, um, get your sleep. Those are all things that, and, you know, I don't have to tell you this because this is what you're, what you talk about constantly all day long, but um, the the things that keep us in active aging and healthy aging are the things that we should have been doing all along. So one one thing certainly is that. The second thing is there are a bunch of practical things that we just put off dealing with. So where are where's all your financial paperwork? What happens if something happens to you and you are suddenly unable to prevail on your own living situation or your own health situation? So I always recommend that while we're healthy and before we're in crisis, understand, and we should be doing this. I think we all have a level of guilt about this. My husband and I hadn't looked at our will since 2002. And so 12 years later, we were saying, where are our wills? Where, where are our financial papers? Have we ever set up the, the trust that we intended to set up? Those are things you don't want to be dealing with when you're in the middle of a health crisis. So that is one really good way to prepare. And the third is, and it's a little bit, you know, I know I know you often talk about policy on your show. It's a little policy oriented, but we have to, as a nation and in the world, find a way to provide support, especially for sandwich caregivers um, who physically can't do it all. They can't be caregivers to two different generations and also work full time and keep the family going. 
and, mo- and most of the time we're talking about women. The majority of caregivers are women and the majority of sandwich caregivers are women. So how, are, how will you put your plans in place to make sure that, again, the right people are on board to, to back you up and help you out? But also, are there ways that you can talk to people in your workplace again, before you're really in the situation, to see if there's some sort of policy or support beyond maternity leave or paternity leave for the caregivers of the world. Because, and I've talked to organizations like come private, the private sector where they are looking at that as a benefit because it's just such a prevailing problem. It requires some forward thinking and some conversations that, you know, we may not all be comfortable with, but uh, it's certainly stuff that you don't want to deal with, as you said, when you're uh, in the middle of a crisis or the beginning of a crisis. We're speaking with Karen Warner Schuler. She's an executive coaching consultant and author of the book, The Sudden Caregiver, and we're going to continue our conversation with her right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson. We are very lucky to have on the line with us again, Karen Warner Schuler. She's an executive coaching consultant as well as author of the book, The Sudden Caregiver. And we've been talking about uh, everything that we can related to caregiving. We've kind of talked about you know, becoming a sudden caregiver, Karen's story, uh, as well as what we can do to uh, be strong in our caregiving. And now we're going to focus on the game changer mm-hmm. for caregiving, <laughs> and that is, of course, COVID-19, which mm-hmm. has changed everything. You know, we, Sam and I, are in the healthcare industry and, and work in that every day. And I think we also serving in the caregiving role, it's easy for us to see some of the flaws in our healthcare system. There's um, a lot of great things about our healthcare system, but also things we can work on. I think mm-hmm. COVID has brought a lot of that to light. Um, but as as a caregiver and thinking about it from the outside in and advocating for my grandfather um, through his journey, I see a lot of things um, that I wouldn't if I wasn't a caregiver. So Karen, on on the healthcare side of things and when working with your physicians throughout your husband's journey, what did those interactions look like in comparison to what you expected from the caregiver perspective? Did you feel heard or supported in your journey? I just want to bring some of this to light because there are um, practitioners that listen to our show and and people that are in the healthcare industry? What a great question. I I would never want to be critical of the medical professionals in our world. They really um, steered the boat, especially in those early crisis days and weeks that we had, we were so dependent upon other people in the medical profession to tell us what to do. We have phenomenal oncology team at the Dana-Farber Cancer Center, and um, and I can't say enough good about them. 
the only thing to know as a caregiver is they are not your only answer. So at, in the beginning, I kept you know, using the the private cell phone number of the, the the fellow who was assigned to our oncology team, and I, you know, we're spiking a fever. Should we go to the ER? And he was wonderful. But at some point, I was starting to petition that that oncology care team for with questions about, well, what about nutrition? And could we travel for Thanksgiving? And you know, the, I I realized I was asking things that were outside their country, their realm. And the and I started realizing that, oh, I'm the one who I'm the caregiver. I'm going to have to find these answers. So integrative care, and there's a whole chapter in my book about this, integrative care, things like will meditation help, will acupuncture help, will um, uh, mindfulness, what about those things and the impact on the disease state? Those are interesting things that your medical team can help with. But they aren't, it is not their job. And as soon as, as a caregiver, you can realize that you really have to research where you can turn. I will say, take whatever you choose. So, for example, my husband wanted to pursue acupuncture to just give him a sense of autonomy over something that was really outside his control. We went to the medical team. You always run any additional treatments through the medical team and got their blessing to go ahead and pursue. And they even gave us recommendations for people who did acupuncture for our particular um, disease state. But so one thing is get, you know, give grace to your medical care team, give them their due They're You know, they often are the smartest people in the room, but they are not, um, they're not you. They're not in your particular situation. So really bring them your questions, but don't expect them to have every single answer. The other thing is um, to really look at options such as telehealth and other ways that you can get help from the medical community without having to pack up your care receiver and drive someplace. And I think that's a silver lining of COVID that telehealth has had such a a resurgence and, and has come about. Um, and and then the other thing is, I'd like to, if if you're listening, the medical profession, those oncologists, those doctors, and um, and nurses and and medical practitioners who come into the patient's home, whether in hospice or we come into your offices, see the caregiver. There's always someone with that person, especially if that person is seriously ill. And often I felt that I wasn't really being seen by the the doctors, unless I inserted myself. So I could be more assertive, but um, I also felt like if if I ask a question, I'm not just this bothersome thing in the corner of the room. I'm really asking because I really want to know. And I've done my research and I've done my homework. Good tips. It's, you know, I always encourage caregivers to, to really do some research and be prepared and, and kind of come to the room with some good questions to ask. Um, Karen, you also kind of mentioned a good a good segue for us because we wanted to touch on a little bit. You talked about telehealth, and um, I know for myself and for Mary, at caring for grandparents and helping provide care professionally in our jobs, we've really felt COVID change a lot of how we do things, and we've oh, had yeah. to get pretty creative. <laughs> so how do you see COVID changing the caregiving industry in the future? Oh, wow. Um, I 
I think that COVID is really, um, it forced us to really deal with things like um, how we isolate ourselves and then the effects of that isolation on ourselves, how to get the help we need and also protect ourselves and protect the person in our care. So I, I don't know in terms of the caregiving industry, I would say the ascendancy of telehealth, the reliance that we have on other people. I think it definitely impacts um, other professions, the teaching profession, where suddenly we are dealing with teachers who or parents who are teaching or homeschooling their kids, starting to open up and send the kids back to school, bringing the kids back home because it's not convenient. It changes every aspect of our of our lives. I, I feel that telehealth, as I said, is here to stay. And I think that's a really good thing for caregivers because one of the statistics on caregiving is that you can't get help for yourself. Or what we do is like, I don't have time to go to the doctor. I'm so busy taking the person to my care to his or her medical treatments. But you can now dial in 24-7 to your hospital's telehealth line and get that kind of help. I guess I would ask you what you see as how do you see the impact on caregiving, the caregiving industry? I think that it's brought to light a lot of these issues mm-hmm. that we we have failed to recognize caregivers as a part, a critical part of our healthcare mm-hmm. system Absolutely. and in providing care. And I think that that is something that has been really brought to light here. And you mentioned social isolation and um, and telehealth and all these other great aspects that um, have been kind of brought to the forefront. But I think recognizing caregivers as a part of our care team is um, so important and mm-hmm. something that has kind of been an afterthought. Yeah, I think that's really, um, I I was on a webinar with Ai-jen Poo. I don't know if you come across her work, but definitely looking at raising the profile of people that have been invisible all, all along. They, they come into our homes, they help us out, especially, you know, in hospice care. I felt like when hospice showed up, it was like these divine angels who would just come into my living room. And I, I would listen to them and I would watch them and I would think, how do they do what they do? Because they're dealing with me today in this moment, but they're going to leave here and go deal with five other people today, probably. Um, And so, yeah, giving them their due, having them be seen and actually compensated for the work that they do in the way they do it. Absolutely. So I, I want to ask, what are you most proud of on your journey as a caregiver? I think, you know, we always think of caregiving as this really difficult journey, but there's also some really proud moments. And I want to and I want to bring that to light. How has this experience changed you and what are you most proud about? Uh, I think the thing when my my late husband was Jewish and we my daughter and I were meeting with the rabbi for his memorial service um, and his funeral. and we were sitting in the rabbi's office and he said to me that he asked me that exact question. Like, I know you're, you can tell me how hard it was, but what are you proud of? And I immediately answered without thinking, without even contemplating, I was not selfish. I rose to the occasion. And I, and I, I say that a little bit uh, self deprecating, but I, I really mean it. I can be a selfish person. I've got work. I've got too many other things on my plate. What are you kidding? We have to drop everything and go to the ER. 
And yet I was not that way when it came to this. I, it's sort of, I, I, I feel blessed that I had some sort of insight early when I got that phone call and became that caregiver. Once I understood, oh, this is not going away. This is our lives from now on. Um, how can I, what can I do? I really am proud of the fact that I brought all that experience I have as a problem solver and raising a family to bear on this one situation. Well, Karen, we thank you so much for your time and your knowledge today. Again, she is Karen Warner Schuler. She's an executive coaching, coaching consultant and author of the book, The Sudden Caregiver. Karen, if folks want to get a hold of your book or maybe uh, make use of your coaching and consulting expertise, how can they do that? The book is available on Amazon, so search Amazon for The Sudden Caregiver. It comes up pretty quickly. And you can also, I also have a website, thesuddencaregiver.com. And I have resources. So some of the things I spoke about today, the Pathways to Wellbeing, the Roadmap, those are downloadable infographics that you can, you can download and get for yourself. Uh, there's also a playbook uh, workbook that you can download and, and sort of try to master your own caregiving situation. And, um, and uh, KWS at thesuddencaregiver.com is the way to get a hold of me. Very good. That website, again, thesuddencaregiver.com. Dot com. Again, she is Karen Warner Schuler, and we thank her very much for her time today. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be back with more. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Jason Kong here with... Mary Lucas, and we are now pivoting to planning, which is something that we love to talk about, and we are very excited to have joining us Claren Engelbreth. She is the, a financial advisor and a mother of four, has got her hands full, four <laughs> boys, actually. Uh, I don't know how you do it, Claren, but thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. I always tell everyone, they say, well, how do you work? <laughs> As a financial advisor, I said, this is where I come to rest. <laughs> That's amazing. That's awesome. You know, so, Claire, and you, your background is in the financial world from corporate loans to mortgages, and uh, you made your way back to financial advising for individuals. What made you want to move more into individual financial assistance and advising? Well, when I decided that I wanted to work in the financial industry, you know, one of the couple of things that were really important to me were to help people and to educate people. And so I found I had so much knowledge from working in different, different areas of the bank, but I really wanted to be able to help people organize their money, feel good about their money, and make sure that they were making really good choices, but also informed choices, that they understood, you know, what they were doing and why it made sense to them. 
Mm-hmm. So I wanted to get out of the corporate world and really be able to help people and make a difference. That's great. It gives me like a good feeling to know, you know, financial advisors are something they'd be kind of intimidating for people. Um, and it's something that maybe comes with a um, stigma that it's only for wealthy people um, or you need a lot of money to have a financial advisor, but that's not the case. And it's it's nice to know um, your background and um, that you're really looking out for people. Um, and I, that's also a question I had. Is it only for wealthy people, financial advising, you know, it, with that stigma? Um, it kind of maybe scares some people off from consider financial advising or estate planning. Right. The industry has changed and still changing so much. And what I would say to that is, you know, I feel like, you know, when you talk about being wealthy and needing an advisor, it's something that has always seemed like, I always picture the Wizard of Oz and the wizard be- being behind the green curtain. And you know he's behind the green curtain, but you don't really know much about the wizard behind the curtain. You're afraid to ask because you feel like you should know about the wizard. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, you're right. You do not have to be wealthy. You know, everyone uses money every mm-hmm. single day. It's an exchange to buy and sell things that we need or want. So our industry has changed from being just, stock pickers to really helping people holistically plan so many different things. Um, And that includes your investments, retirement, goals you want to accomplish today, the right insurance, um, helping people with estate planning and kind of all, every aspect of organizing your wealth. So you, you know, and being wealthy is subjective too, right? That's Mm -hmm. a different number for everyone. So what I find is whether people have more money than they need or not enough, they still need to get it organized and make sure they're making good choices. So I think that everyone should take the opportunity to talk with someone that is a financial advisor at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, you touched on estate planning there for a second. I want to circle back to that. Um, when should someone start estate planning? Is it ever too early to start estate planning? Uh, it's never too early. I am a uh, cancer survivor myself. Oh, wow. So when you start to think about your own mortality, you know, I'm pretty young. That could happen at any mm-hmm. age. So no, no, you can never plan too early. And honestly, estate planning is the best gift that you can leave your loved ones. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I... Not to get too personal here, but when you were diagnosed with cancer, and I'm so glad that um, you are here with us, and that that you have made it through all that, and it can, and I really admire that, and I think that that adds to your journey um, in doing what you're doing now, and in the career that you're in. When you were diagnosed, did it kind of shift your mindset a little bit on your role um, in in your career as well, and financial advising, and um, and the clients that you work with. It really did, you know, um, knowing that you could not be here and that it actually could happen and that you're, you know, we all know we're not invincible, but we still kind of deep down at our core believe that we are to some extent invincible. So that completely changed my perspective that, you know, I myself at a young age need to make sure that I've got my ducks in a row and that everything that I have is organized in case I were to leave this earth and, um, So, yeah, it has changed the conversations that I have with all of my clients, no matter what their age is. Mm -hmm. So how does one get started with estate planning? What does that first step look like? Yep. So the first step would be to think about what's most important to you 
when you leave this world? What do you want to happen to your to your assets? What do you want to have happen to your your tangible things that are important to you that you want to go to specific people? So start to think about what you want to happen when you're not here anymore and how you want that to happen for your family. There's so many aspects of estate planning. It's not just, you know, I need a will and that's going to lay out who everything goes to. There's beneficiaries on accounts. There's ways to avoid certain um, certain documentation and public documentation upon your death. And I really think it's also important for your family to know what what do you want to happen? How do you want them to celebrate your life? You know, it, it's really not a good time for your family to be making financial decisions Mm -hmm. when they're trying to decide how to honor your life. Mm, That's a good point. And, Uh, you know, when you've touched on family here a few times, when is the appropriate time to involve your family? If if you're anything like my family, they want to be involved in the whole thing um, from the very (laughs) get-go and and also have their say in everything. Um, But when is the appropriate time to involve your family in in the conversation and in this process? So, you know, for for aging parents, it's really important that before, you know, before you can't make decisions, they need to know, you know, what's important to you. So the earlier, the better, I say with that, too. You know, with me, I've sat down and I've had a conversation with my husband, my spouse, about here's what I want. Here's what I want to happen if I'm not here. This is how it should work if I'm not here. This is who you need to talk to. And we've got it all written down and same thing with aging parents. You need to sit down with someone that's important to you, be that a child or a, another family member or a friend, and let them know, hey, this is the planning I've done. This is what's important to me so that they're not trying to figure out when you're not here what they need to do first. Um, so if you haven't had that conversation with your important person that you would want to be in charge when you're not here, you need to have them sit down with you and your financial advisor or your attorney that's done the planning for you and make sure that they are aware of how things are supposed to happen. That sounds like the ideal scenario, and I, I think we should all, you know, make it a point to do mm-hmm. that. But I think so often we, we tend to put these things off or maybe neglect it, and then, uh, you know, a crisis happens, and then we're, we're kind of thrusted into this. So for, for those who experience that, you know, what, what are the main things that we need to keep in mind with an estate plan when we're we're suddenly we're presented with a, a scenario that we, we were not foreseeing. Right. So I think it's really important to, number one, you've got to find the documentation if, and find out if there was. And typically those can be recorded um, if there was some planning done. Typically, typically it's recorded. And then you want to make sure that you find out where all the accounts are and you want to, you know, get with an attorney to help you make sure that you're processing the estate the way that it should be done. Cause that can be a very lengthy process and it's one that you don't want to do incorrectly. So you, I would definitely advise the help of a professional um, to get through that. Mm-hmm. Well, Claren, if folks are looking to find more information about you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Sure. Sure. So I have a website. You can Google, uh, Edward Jones, Clarence Engelbreath, and my name should pop up, and all of our, our address, our office hours, and our contact information is there. Would love to have a conversation with anybody that's looking just to 
get some advice on where do I start because every person is different and every situation is different. So happy to help however I can. Wonderful. Again, she is Claren Inglebreath. If you want to find more information about her, just Google Edward Jones, Claren Inglebreath, and you'll find more. She's a financial advisor and mother of four boys, and we really appreciate her time today. Claren, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, we are out of time for today. We appreciate you joining us, and we hope you'll join us again next week. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a wonderful day. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.